engaging in these topics makes us better librarians and better information professionals and like students are so engaged in this and they've really been the ones driving this forward and if they're saying this is going to improve the quality of our education and our experience of education why wouldn't we take that up and try to improve how we're doing things Chatting Info Lit, an information literacy podcast for new library and information professionals produced for the SILIP Information Literacy Group. In this series, we'll be talking to people who have recently joined the profession, as well as those who have a bit more experience, about where they started, the projects they've been involved with, and how questions of information literacy impact upon their sector. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Chatting Info Lit. I'm joined by Frankie Marsh, who is a fellow new professional. Frankie published her dissertation on decolonisation and information literacy in the Journal of Information Literacy last year. So hi Frankie, thank you so much for being here. First of all, can you uh, start by telling us a bit about yourself and your job? Of course. So yeah, my name's Frankie and I'm an assistant librarian at the University of Cambridge, working in uh, like botanical and horticultural libraries at the moment. So yeah, I work in the academic library sector, but as well as working with undergraduate and postgraduate students, I also get to support the professional practice of gardeners at the University Botanic Garden and staff and visitors at the University Herbarium who kind of come from all over the world. So a really diverse user base, which is is really, really fun. That sounds amazing. Like I've never heard of such a diverse user range like gardeners. Wow. Yeah. So kind of how did you firstly get into librarianship and how did you kind of get into that role? I think it's like a bit of a cliche, like a lot of people say it, but I, I did kind of just fall into library work. I My first library job was working part-time as a student library assistant at Durham University and that was really just like a way to make extra money whilst I was studying didn't you know didn't think of it as like a long-term career option at all and then after some time working abroad in Brussels in the kind of international voluntary sector I decided to come back to the UK and was looking for a job and yeah managed to get a graduate trainee role here in Cambridge kind of thinking like yeah I did enjoy enjoy my work and what I was doing as a as a library assistant when I was studying so so went for went for a graduate trainee role here in Cambridge and I've kind of been here ever since in in different libraries. Amazing like mm. I, I also did a graduate traineeship so I did mine at the Bodleian in Oxford oh, and I yeah. remember hearing about the Cambridge trainees. <laughs> yeah when, think, when were you a trainee? Uh, I was a trainee in 20 oh my god 2018 yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Like, I think anyone who is looking into getting into libraries and things should definitely look into traineeships because it's a great opportunity to see, like, if it's actually what you want to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I thought. I was like, it's for a year. I'll see if I enjoy it. And if I do, great. And if I don't, that's fine. I'll, I'll figure out something else. So I thought now we could talk a bit about your paper which is titled Unsettling Information Literacy, Exploring Critical Approaches of Academic Researchers for Decolonising the University. First of all, I was hoping you'd be able to kind of 
for those who are new to the topic, if you could kind of talk a bit about firstly what is meant by decolonisation and also how it relates specifically to information literacy. Yeah, so I think decolonisation is like, it can be quite, I don't know, tricksy. It's like means different things to different people and in different contexts. But the way that I guess I would explain it or the way that I think about it is it's about kind of uncoupling ourselves from the colonial legacies that still kind of structure our world today. So sometimes this is in ways that are like really obvious and sometimes it's in ways that we might not be aware of at all. In universities, actions were really kind of spearheaded by students in the the kind of decolonizing the curriculum movement since around like 2015, when students at the University of Cape Town were protesting against the statue of uh, like a prominent imperialist called Cecil Rhodes. And they were bringing attention to these kind of really obvious colonial iconographies in our institutional spaces. Um, but I think possibly people had, you know, had seen seen the statue and, and not really thought anything of it. But when people say like, yeah, what? why is that there? Why are we celebrating this this guy? It, it kind of, yeah, makes you makes you think twice. Right. And then simultaneously, there were like uh, groups of students here in the UK at, at UCL. I think it started a kind of collective who were asking, why is my curriculum white? Why are all of the the authors on my reading list white men? Why do I not have more diverse voices and thinkers and and people on my reading lists? Like, what are we being taught and who are we being taught has valuable knowledge to share, I guess? So, yeah, it's this kind of holistic pedagogical project about not just the content of curricula and what gets taught, but about like where that happens and the spaces that we're in. And then also about, yeah, like how we're teaching, teaching this as well. So that's where I think the idea of information literacy comes in, if we're thinking about it as as a more holistic pedagogical project. The concept of decolonization, like I associated it with like the Rose Much School movement and the concept of decolonizing the curriculum. So, you know, making sure that the reading lists aren't just white people. So and until reading your paper, I hadn't really considered it in relation to information literacy uh, and kind of teaching. Um, so I yeah. found it really interesting and, and eye-opening. I was interested in kind of hearing about how you came to decide to write about this topic because I did you do your, you did this for your master's dissertation, I assume. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I was doing a master's at uh, UCL, the, the Library and Information Studies Masters, mm-hmm. uh, between 2017 and 2020, I think. And so I I really first thought about researching this relationship between decolonization and information literacy when I attended a conference at Goldsmiths in, I think it was like late 2019 or maybe early 2020. It must have been like pre-pandemic. <laughs> But it was called Decolonising the Curriculum, the Library's Role. And it was organised by, I think, Marilyn Clark and Elizabeth Charles and Ian Clark. And I think that was like one of the first times that library folks had kind of got together to share what they were doing around the topic. 
I think in the kind of year or two prior to this, there was like a lot of discussion and campaigning and work being done by students and student unions and academic staff around decolonisation. But this was being taken up by libraries and we'd really started to recognise like, yeah, we do have a role in this as well. This isn't just something that's happening kind of in the, yeah, in the student sphere, like we should really listen to, to what they're saying. But what I noticed at that conference and from the kind of broader sector wide discussions was that a lot of that work was really focusing on like collections. So diversifying collections and thinking about reading lists, but not so much else at that point. And obviously, at the same time, I was like taking a module at UCL in information literacy and was like really interested in in this kind of aspect of what libraries do, the kind of teaching and learning around information. Um, but I don't think that had really come into the equation at all when it came to decolonizing the curriculum yet. And it seemed like such an obvious gap to me. Um, so I was just like quite excited to think about what research I could do that might fill that gap and thought it would it would make a good dissertation topic. So, yeah, went from there. I think it's so difficult when you're thinking about your dissertation to have a, like an original <laughs> original research area, because I remember when I was doing my dissertation, I found it really hard to find that gap and ensuring that I wasn't just repeating what was already out there. And I think, yeah, and I was in exactly the same position. I was like, oh, gosh, like I'd love to do a dissertation, but I just have no idea what I want to write on. Like, and then it just it did sort of all just click and, and fall into place. Did you find that the the your like supervisors at UCL were like supportive and did they have some knowledge on decolonization already and could they like support you on that yeah so my supervisor was Alison um Hicks who uh we both know who's supporting us in the new professionals oh, yeah. group so yeah she was like super super supportive and especially in kind of thinking about what literature might be out there already to like start to work with even though I couldn't really find much on this topic in particular she was really great at like giving suggestions and kind of situating where my research fit into the literature mm. basically yeah because I guess there's one thing having a finding a, like, found a gap of research is amazing and then actually when it comes to it, you're like oh my gosh I have to actually do this <laughs> yeah 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 um, so. and like all throughout the I guess the research that I was doing I think I had one meeting with her in person and then the pandemic hit and everything else mm. was online and quite stressful thinking about like you know now we're recording this on teams and and it just feels completely normal. But at the time I was like, how am I going to do interviews? Like, am I going to have to use Skype? Like, well, how's this going to work? Um, but she was very supportive all the way through, yeah, through the pandemic and the whole process, really. Do you think that you'll take this topic further? Like, are you considering like a PhD or something? Because I know not everyone is interested in that route, but... What I would say is like, I'd love to... I'm like kind of annoyed at myself that I haven't been able to basically take this further in in like my own practice. Mm. And I guess that's sort of to do with the role that I'm in at the moment. And um, actually, like information literacy and teaching and learning isn't a huge part of that at the moment. But I do try to keep reflecting on it. And I'm I'm still part of a group at Cambridge University called Decolonising Through Critical Librarianship. So we organise kind of workshops and sessions for other librarians on on different topics relating to decolonization to kind of share knowledge and, and ideas and stuff um and i'd love for that to be more of a focus on on decolonization and information literacy 
through that. So I've not kind of given up on this completely. Um, and why why do you think this topic is so important? Because I feel like we've been hearing a lot, like in the media especially, like not necessarily about using the word decolonization, but kind of like mm. breaking down those really white institutions and like obviously students are making a stand, which is amazing. Why do you think this topic is so important and why is the process of decolonization so important? Good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, that was quite a heavy question. Yeah, I, th- I think engaging in these topics makes us better librarians and better information professionals and like students are so engaged in this and they've really been the ones driving this forward and if they're saying this is going to improve the quality of our education and our experience of education why wouldn't we take that up and try to improve how we're doing things reading your your paper it really made me think about like because I work in a healthcare library Mm-hmm. Um, and I made me think about well, like, oh, what areas, you know, could how how does this relate to my work? And like, I do a lot of teaching in my job, and I do a lot of teaching on like critical appraisal, so like appraising how to appraise research papers, basically. And I was thinking, like, really key element of of that is understanding how trustworthy a source is and appraising it from a critical eye. And I'm thinking, like, why not from a decolonizing perspective as well? Um, yeah, because a lot of them. Um, a lot of the time we only think of published research as, you know, if it's an English language journal or if it's, um, you know, published in America or the or the UK or we kind of miss out on those really important voices. So it really made me kind of reflect on, like, how can I be more critical in, in appraising papers and also helping others to be critical in that way? But Have yeah. you heard of um, Ramona Nyker's uh, work on critically appraising for anti-racism? I, I haven't. Think, no. OK. Um, she's... Uh, done amazing work on this and I'm not like in the kind of medical or healthcare library sector at all but uh, we actually ran a workshop on like how does decolonizing medicine affect my library this is for like University of Cambridge staff we had different people from the medical library come and speak to to the wider staff groups about not just collections but also this idea of like critical appraisal and how you how you bring that in so I'd encourage you to uh, to look up Oh, I definitely will. That sounds really like exactly what we need. <laughs> yeah. You did interviews, didn't you, for your methodology? So yes. I was wondering if you could talk about kind of why you decided on that methodology and um, kind of how you found found the process. I chose to use uh, like a qualitative methodology because I kind of knew that the data that I wanted to collect would be you know, you can't just like answer it with a yes or no question. Um, and it was this like kind of new and contested topic that's quite complicated. Um, so that's why I thought interviews would, would probably be the best kind of method for, for gathering that data. And I, I chose to interview academic staff because I kind of recognised that like they're the ones that have some kind of agency in setting the agenda for like what's what's on a curriculum and um, how students are assessed they're the ones like creating reading lists um, and carrying out you know research but I couldn't really find much in the literature which was kind of asking academics what they thought about this and especially around critical information literacy either so yeah once I'd kind of designed that methodology the actual recruiting 
participants I thought was going to be really difficult as well but actually through a couple of contacts that I had from the work that I'd already been doing you know in my actual day job around decolonization you know got me a couple of participants and then I just snowballed from there so I asked them like oh can you recommend anybody else who would be interested in this I think I even recruited one participant off the back of a an online conference in 2020 I think so it sort of felt really difficult until I'd actually started and then it it was fine in the end if if that makes sense I didn't need many participants like there was so much data from just five or six I think so um, like I learned so much and hopefully they got something out of it as well and also I was wondering if you were kind of surprised by any of the answers that the research researchers gave like the participants gave so this is a great question <laughs> and I was thinking about it um yeah when when you when you gave me this question I think um overall when I set out to do this research I was trying to kind of see whether critical information literacy was a useful framework for bringing decolonization into like how libraries engage with with the topic but I think something surprising that I found was that actually a more kind of sociocultural approach in academic libraries understanding of and like how we teach IL would would actually be just as valuable I think the other thing that kind of surprised me or or maybe that I just wasn't expecting but makes a lot of sense is how important uh, the kind of material conditions for doing decolonial work in academic libraries and, and in universities is. Um, so I had like a mix of early career researchers and lecturers and professors with like, you know, 20 years experience. But something that came out really strongly um, from talking to all of the participants was the kind of tensions between wanting to like publish in, in non-English language or um, publish in like less mainstream publications or the ones without the, you know, the high, um, you know, the metrics that are going to gonna help them uh, in their in their careers. But yeah, kind of thinking, how do I marry up wanting to like reach more diverse audiences or yeah, publish in these like less well-established places? Um, but then, yeah, how do I marry that with uh, getting a permanent job at the end of you know the contract which is coming to an end or um also things like wanting to introduce more like daring resources or do different things with their with their teaching but then like not having the time or the you know the the kind of agency to do that because you know they're a PhD student and uh, a, a kind of teaching on the side as a, as a graduate teaching assistant so yeah the kind of like material conditions how important that is for this kind of work to develop I'd say that was like something that I hadn't hadn't really thought about when I set out but it was silly that I hadn't because mm. when when people were speaking about it it was like you know more and more obvious that these were the kind of preconditions for actually yeah going above and beyond what's what's currently done so do do you think that we need to rethink our definition of information? I think it's another good question. Um, and I think we probably do. I think there's a tendency in libraries to link information literacy with 
information that is like found in libraries only or information that libraries somehow mediate. But I think what my research showed really was that decolonizing information literacy would really involve embracing non-textual information. So stuff that isn't written down, stuff that isn't necessarily academic. And actually, academic researchers are already using that information and thinking about how things like field trips or students' own experiences can kind of be tied into the, they kind of integrate that into their their research and their teaching already. So our information literacy interventions should probably echo this as well. And actually, I think this is maybe something that the health library sector does a better job of through like health information literacy. You kind of recognise that information that like embodied information from your own experience or stuff you find out from a friend or relative or just by googling is like Mm. that is information and and that's almost more important information that that we use in our in our everyday lives so yeah I I think probably we do need to kind of like libraries need to rethink Mm. what information is when when we're thinking about information literacy I think we do have such a like a rigid definition of what is and isn't good information yeah Uh, and I think we do need to kind of be more open to different kinds of information in my job I really try and encourage lots of different kinds of healthcare staff to publish their research because they think you know I don't have a PhD I'm not qualified enough and actually anyone can publish (laughs) um, in healthcare like if you've got something valuable to share then it's worth publishing and I think that maybe needs to be encouraged uh, in all different sectors and, uh, and maybe we need to move away from having such a yeah such a strict definition of what isn't isn't publishable and like think about how information that isn't published is is also oh, yeah, valuable as well definitely so. maybe yeah. let's just ditch the publishing industry and <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. now I wanted to talk a bit about the process of actually getting your dissertation published because I found that really interesting because I feel like that's always like a student's dream is to have their dissertation published (laughs) (laughs) so I just wanted to ask like how did that process start were you told oh this could be publishable or like yeah how did it come about yeah it definitely came about because my supervisor said you should think about this like I don't think I'd have ever had the confidence to yeah just submit my paper to to a journal otherwise but actually the whole process was was really fine and I felt very supported by like the editors of the journal and especially uh, Sai Matsuno who she copy edited my article so yeah it was like quite a long process to basically cut down my dissertation a lot (laughs) to make Mm. it a better fit for a journal article and then Sai did an amazing job of basically ensuring the language was like as accessible and precise as possible and really conveyed what I wanted it to do and also thinking about how it would be received by readers as well so yeah the I'm like I'm really glad to have done it (laughs) It, I don't think it was like a dream of of (laughs) mine as as a student (laughs) Um, but it is like really nice to know that the results have been like shared with a wider audience and like I think they're interesting so hopefully other people do as well um and I guess the, the process itself was actually so interesting and like a really useful experience for me 
you know, in my professional role as well. Um, I do have some kind of like academic liaison element to my role at the moment. And it's just useful to have some experience of like what a peer review process is and thinking about practicalities like licenses, which like actually Jill is like a diamond open access journal. So that was all very easy. But even stuff like depositing a copy in my institutional repository as like a user rather than a librarian saying like, you should do this um, was just really, really valuable. It took like quite a few months, I think, <laughs> um, like there was quite a gap between, you know, me submitting the dissertation and then it being published as an article. But um, yeah, I'd recommend it. And I, I, I think more library masters students should think about about publishing. So yeah. what does information literacy mean to you? So I think at its basic information literacy is about like just like the practices that you engage with when you're working with information. I think there's like you know lots of definitions out there and about like you know finding and using and evaluating information and information skills and stuff but mm. it doesn't have to be something that's taught I think we all practice information skills like whether we know it or not we use them all the time in in everyday life and in professional contexts mm. as well I love like a really tricky reference inquiry <laughs> like oh God, when somebody's too. looking for something or they're like I've been searching for this and I just like how do I find what I need and I absolutely love yeah hunting hunting something down or like finding like the most obscure piece of grey literature or like yeah where can they where can they track this down it's just so satisfying when, when you, you can... find when you find it it's, yeah. there's no better feeling in the world I'm not even yeah. doing exactly <laughs> it marks out the good the good days from the bad oh it really does <laughs> like that is why I became a librarian is because yeah it's that detective work I think we are like information detectives That's yeah we I'd love to be I think I'd make a great like sleuth <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was gonna say I think like as librarians I think we do like ask more questions um what I do anyway like when I'm yeah, if I'm watching something like or yeah reading something I'm like is this you know is this um good information like yeah where does this come from like why are they why are they doing this yeah but then I think it's also so easy to like slip out of that and mm. and also just you know be very happy to to play into your like confirmation biases of, mm. of like I believe this therefore this information fits my worldview so I'm going to say that it is trustworthy. And I'd like to think, you know, I'm a good librarian and can can like critically appraise the information that I'm presented with. I think sometimes it's hard to do that when you're you're not thinking like, oh, this is an academic context. Like, what are they saying? Is is mm. this trust? You know, is this trustworthy information or whatever? Um, and I think also when information uh, emotions come into the information as well. This is a question that we ask all of our guests. What book would you add to the definitive information literacy reading list and why? I actually couldn't think of a book that probably makes <laughs> me right, like a really bad librarian. No, um, but I actually then came up with two things that I thought I would share. The first one is because it was like really useful for me, I think, and would be like nice to share with other new professionals. 
Um, but it just really helped information literacy kind of click for me. Um, and that was basically a series of blog posts written by colleagues here at the University of Cambridge as sort of like a professional development opportunity called the Framework 5. So it's like five short blog posts. Um, and I think it's like designed specifically for library staff to understand how information literacy is like relevant in many different ways in our professional and personal lives. Um, even if you don't have a job where you're like teaching undergraduate students about referencing or to search databases or whatever, it's like what information literacy is and, and why it's relevant. But it's called yeah. the Framework 5. And then the other article that I would recommend is Jesse Lawyer's article on Indigenous information literacy. So kind of linking back to the theme of, of my dissertation, she talks about the emotional impact of research and how when we teach information literacy, it's important to think about finding and evaluating information, but also about assessing how that impacts our kind of emotional lives as well and recognising. So she's talking from a kind of Indigenous perspective, saying like Indigenous students can, you know, find this actually really traumatic and violent. But uh, I think that's also applicable to lots of other people as well and, and just in general recognising the kind of emotional processes that are tied up with, with doing research and uh, engaging with information is something really valuable and that we should be be doing more of. That sounds really interesting and I think we we'll, should be able to put like links to those in the description of the episode um, along with a link to your paper uh, which is available oh, open access isn't it so anyone yes. can go and read that and I really recommend reading it because it's really interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Um,